So, uh, as Michael mentioned, my name is Mike Proyo. I'm with the Coffee Oasis. It sounds like most of you have heard of us, which is really awesome. Uh, if you haven't, we are a Christian nonprofit uh, based out of Bremerton. That's where we launched uh, back in 1997. And our mission is to restore community through compassionate youth programs and coffee businesses, which seems like a really weird combination, but it works for us. And so, uh, what we do is we've got coffee shops, you know, across Kitsap County as well as uh, the newest one launched in Tacoma here. And, uh, and, and all of our coffee shops really allow us to do is to fund our youth programs. And so we are, uh, ultimately, we are a, a resource for at-risk and homeless teenagers in Kitsap and Pierce County, uh, which is a, a huge need. Um, we are literally the only organization that has uh, overnight shelters for homeless teenagers in our two counties, which is ridiculous. Because I know in Pierce County alone, there are well over 200 homeless teenagers every single night, and we have 12 beds in our shelter. So it is a massive issue, uh, so we do what we can through our shelters as well as our drop-in center where 13 to 25-year-olds can come during the day, hang out, get something to eat if they need something to eat. We've got a shower, we've got uh, laundry services if they want to do their laundry, uh, we've got a case manager, we've got uh, a nurse that comes in, we offer classes, all sorts of things just to be able to support uh, this at-risk community. And we, uh, we love what we do. Uh, our coffee here tonight you can get uh, at our cafe downtown. If you sign up in the back on, for the newsletter, you get a free drink. So. Your college age, free is always good. So there you go. You can get a free drink just for that. Um, if you're interested in getting involved, I've got a volunteer card in the back where you can get a hold of our volunteer coordinator, whether that's serving in our drop-in center, uh, maybe doing some cleaning, uh, you know, if you like working on stuff. We, we've, got, we've got an old building that is always breaking. So we've got plenty of things to do. Uh, or if you're interested in, in doing any kind of a supply drive, like this time of year, we're always looking for sweatshirts and sweatpants because, uh, yeah, it's just that time of year that people need warm clothing and snack foods. We probably go through 100 cup of noodles a week. Uh, so anybody that wants to donate to that, we are always glad to take it. Uh, any questions about the Coffee Oasis at all before I jump into, into Daniel here? Yes. Yes, both. We will take new clothing or gently used clothing, uh, except underwear. That's out. All right, so uh, used underwear, that is. New is fine. Um, all right, so, uh, so tonight we're going to continue on. And Daniel, I've got, this is the only slide that I have here, and they provided it, so it's pretty good. Uh, so uh, there you go. I, I kept it easy for uh, the slide person tonight. Um, I'm, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be able to talk to you guys tonight. I was in youth ministry for about 20 years, uh, a number of those as a volunteer before I went into full-time ministry as a youth pastor, and then I moved up here to Tacoma about eight years ago to be the campus pastor at Rainier View Christian Church out in Parkland, which is way the heck out there. Uh, did that for a number of years before joining the Coffee Oasis uh, back in April of this year. Uh, and so any opportunity that I get to be able to, to speak to young people people, uh, college-age folks, really anybody, uh, and be able to preach out of the gospel and, and preach out of God's word is, is truly a privilege. And so uh, this is good. I've definitely taught on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before, but I was determined uh, not to use an old sermon for you guys because I think that's lame. And so I really wanted to get into it and dug into it and, and figured out some, some things that let God speak to me that I could kind of pass along to you tonight. Uh, but before we even get into that, I'm just curious, how many of you uh, have ever seen the original Avengers movie that came back in 2012? Okay. Well, so I, I'd imagine, like, for a lot of you, like, just some, I'm just curious, how old were you in 2012 when you saw that movie? Just call, Hmm? 
17, 13, okay, yeah, so like middle school, early high, or high school, okay, that works. Uh, I feel only slightly really old right now. Uh, but that movie was huge, okay? It was huge because it was the first time, I think, in cinema history that, that we'd see like just the, the cinematic universe in some way come together where you've got Iron Man and Captain America and the Hulk and Thor and the other humans that had no powers, uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye, you know, and they, they've come together to fight who? who? Who are they coming to fight in the first Avengers movie? Loki with the big old golden horns and that kind of stuff, and this army of the Chitari who are intent on ruling Earth. And, uh, and very early on in the movie, there's this scene where, where Loki, I think he's, he's going to Germany because he's got to rip somebody's eyeball out for a retinal scan or whatever, kind of gross. But then after that, like, he, he comes out and he's, he's pretty much scared of a bunch of people to go out into this courtyard, and he's created like these weird copies of himself, and, and he encourages them all to do what? What, is, what does he want them all to do? Yeah, he, he wants them to kneel. He wants them to bow. You guys are on top of it. Excellent. Uh, and, and I love it, this scene, because, you know, everybody bows down, but there's that one guy. There's that one old guy who, who after he kneels, he just, he gets up and he's like, no, nah, I'm not doing this. And he like, he's an old dude. And you can tell like, this is a guy that's been through World War II. He's seen what Hitler and the Nazis did. And he's like, no, nope, I'm not bowing before somebody like you anymore. And he, he refuses, you know, in this massive crowd of people, and they all are kneeling. And he's the only one that's willing to stand up before this egotistical maniac to say, like, no, I'm not going to kneel before you, even if it means it's going to cost him his life. And so at the very moment that Loki's just about to blast him with his scepter, you know, Captain America drops in and out, out of nowhere and, and, and blocks it with his shield and all that kind of stuff. And, and as we continue on, like, what does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, as we're about to jump into the book of Daniel, um, we're going to be examining a story where people are pretty much facing a similar situation. Bow down or die. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to navigate your way over to Daniel 3, whether you've got a paper Bible or, you know, use the Bible app or whatever on your phone. Go ahead and find your way to Daniel chapter 3. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the challenge facing these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, and that's probably a story that's very familiar to some of us. If, if you grew up in the church, this is probably a story that you have heard before. Uh, but, but as we look at this story, we've got Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and then the other main character is this guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, who's kind of the, the Loki uh, of the story here. He is the ruler over Babylon. And Babylon is just this massive powerhouse of, of a nation that has uh, pretty much ransacked the city of Jerusalem, like destroys the temple, takes not only a whole bunch of, of, of the treasures of God's people from the temple, but he also takes like the very best of the best of, of the young people of the Israelites. And, and, and he takes all these young people, probably about your age or slightly younger, and, and he takes them so that they can be put into his personal service. And so today we're going to be looking at, uh, at, at you know, and, and out of these people he's taken, he, he takes, you know, Daniel, the book's namesake, as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so I'm going to be jumping into Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up as they stood before it. 
Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of musics, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. One thing that's super annoying about preaching through this passage is they just give us the same list of things several times in a row. So why we have to list off all the government officials and all the instruments so many times, I don't know, but we're going to go with it. Okay, so what is happening here? What is going on in this situation? I'm curious, how many of you guys are familiar with what the State of the Union Address is in our country? How many of you ever, have ever watched the State of the Union Address in our country? Okay, yeah, so it's uh, pretty much everybody who is in some sort of you know, real political power in our government shows up to the U.S. Capitol building, which is this you know, massive symbol of our nation. And the president in that evening, you know, his speechwriters write this big old long speech where he or she is going to be setting a vision for the coming year and where, where the president wants to take us and the government's going to take us in the next year. And so this is kind of like that. King Nebuchadnezzar has summoned all of the government officials of every people group as he, as he you know, they, they bring him, they, they all come to him as he's got this kind of state of the kingdom address that he wants to give to them. But instead of meeting at a Capitol building, Nebuchadnezzar summons everybody to a different kind of, of symbol, this, this massive statue of gold. Now, we're not really sure exactly what this image is. Like, is it an image of King Nebuchadnezzar? Probably not. Is it an image of, of, of some you know, false god? We don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't say it. What we do know is that it's stinking massive, 60 cubits high, six cubits wide, which is 90 feet high by nine feet wide. And if you have a hard time picturing that, imagine a massive blue whale standing up on its tail. Okay, just, just imagine something. I mean, it's just gigantic, gigantic gold statue. And so everybody's there. And again, if you've, if you've watched the State of the Union address, um, it's kind of goofy to watch, actually, just because, I mean, just watching all the people there react to what the president says, because every time the president makes, makes a point in, in, in the speech, everybody in the president's political party gets up and claps and cheers and like, oh, that's the greatest point everybody's ever made in this building. This is incredible. And they're all going crazy. And what do the, all the people in the other political party do? Every single point, guaranteed. Guaranteed, the president's political party is going crazy while the other political party is just like looking like a bunch of little spoiled brats. Well, this gathering is, is kind of like that, except that everybody who doesn't agree with Nebuchadnezzar gets thrown in a fire. So uh, it's, it's a little bit different than the State of the Union address. It's almost the beginning of, of like a new world order where, where he's, he's kind of issuing this command. Okay, we're all together, and now, just so you know, you're all going to be worshiping this idol that I've created. I didn't mean to point to the cross and call it an idol. Okay, let's be very careful there. Um, yikes. Thanks, Michael, for the opportunity. I'll never be back. All right, sounds good. But, but um, so, so you know, he's like, hey, so you're going to be worshiping my idol from now on. And so what King Nebuchadnezzar is doing is he's declaring himself the head of state and the head of religion. And nobody really gets a choice. Everybody needs to recognize him for who he is claiming to be. And so when the band plays, everybody kneels because nobody wants to get 
chucked into the fireplace. That's, that's not very fun. Well, not exactly everyone. Let's keep reading, starting in verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I'm telling you, all those instruments are making me parched. All right. So a lot of times, just as I'm going through Scripture and I'm reading through it, like I just, my brain kind of wanders, and I start wondering, well, wait, why is this so, and what happened here? And the question that I actually, I wondered in this section, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, if you've read through this passage before, but the first question I had is, where's Daniel? Where is Daniel in all this? I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are they really the only three that didn't bow down? Are you saying that Daniel did bow down? That, that doesn't seem right. I mean, honestly, there's no way that Daniel would bow down and worship this golden statue. So why isn't he being accused along with his friends? And, and we don't know because Scripture doesn't say, I can, I can guess, I, I can throw out a couple you know, ideas. You know, there's, there's a chance that maybe Daniel is away traveling for some reason. Maybe he's taking care of the king's business in some other region, and so he wasn't there, and therefore he, he couldn't bow down or not. Or maybe Daniel was in attendance, and he refused to fall down and worship the golden image. But he's got such high standing in King Nebuchadnezzar's eyes that nobody's going to call out Daniel for not kneeling. I mean, everybody knows how the king feels about Daniel and, and how the king commends Daniel for his faith. I mean, going back to chapter 2, verse 47, I don't, I, I don't know how you guys do it here. I don't know if you do every single verse. But, but last week in chapter 2, verse 47, this is after Daniel interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. It says, the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. So Nebuchadnezzar, even if Daniel didn't bow down, isn't going to say anything because Daniel's his guy. And, and he's not, he's not going to throw Daniel in the fire for sure. And it's interesting because after Daniel uh, is put into this really high position, he is allowed to promote his three friends as the administrators over Babylon, which is why I think the astrologers have come forward here and they rat out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because I think there's some resentment because, again, the, the, the Jews are, are, are slaves. They, they are people that have been, you know, taken away from their homeland and, and, you know, yeah, they've been brought to be put in the king's service, but then to be promoted as administrators, over Babylon, I think, I think these other officials are super jealous. And so they, they have no issues ratting them out, saying like, yeah, they, they, they didn't do it. The, the word denounced that's used in verse 8, it's actually translated to be torn into pieces. So, so the, the heart, 
the hearts of these astrologers, they want to see these three guys killed. They want to see them destroyed. Their whole motivation is to have these guys chucked in the fire, and who knows, maybe I'll get their job. You know, I, I have no idea. And, they, and, and it's because they don't agree with the fact that Nebuchadnezzar allowed them to be put in this position that they say this uh, in, in verse 12 again. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So now Nebuchadnezzar's maybe feeling a little bit defensive, like, oh, great, now it's my fault that these guys are in this position. And so it's interesting to read Nebuchadnezzar's response to this accusation. The text says that he's furious with rage, and he has the three men brought before him to ask if the accusation is true. But what did the herald say if anybody was caught not bowing down? What did he say would immediately happen? They'd be thrown, they will be immediately tossed into the furnace. And yet that's not what happens. Nebuchadnezzar kind of brings him forward, and he actually wants to, to, to give him a second chance. Well, why? Well, he knows how valuable they are to him. Going back to chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 20, it says that in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, them being Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he found them 10 times better than the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. See, these three guys are a huge reason that Nebuchadnezzar has been as successful as he's been. And so he's not really excited to have them, you know, turned into ashes at this point in time. And so he wants to give them a second chance. He, he even tries to, to guide them as if they didn't understand the original assignment. Like, okay, guys, is it, is it true? Like, there's this rumor that, that you guys didn't bow down. Okay, so, so, so here's the deal. Like, if, if you didn't bow down, if, if you disrespected my gods, maybe you didn't get it. So here's the deal. The band's going to play the music. Okay, the band's going to play the music. And at that point, you just kneel down, just like everybody else. Uh, and if you don't, well, then, then you do have to go into the fire because that's, that's kind of what I said. And, and, and so essentially, Nebuchadnezzar is saying to them, look, it's either your God or me. You guys have to choose right now. Don't make me look bad. Don't make me look bad in front of anybody else because I can't afford to have anybody else defy me the way that you guys are doing this. Now, unlike the old man in the Avengers movie uh, facing down Loki or these three young men who are facing down Nebuchadnezzar, um, it's pretty unlikely that any of us are ever going to be facing death uh, for our faith. Is it possible? Absolutely. Absolutely is it possible. Is, is it likely in the United States of America in our lifetime? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but it seems pretty unlikely that we are gonna, we're going to die for our faith here. But we have to understand that there are going to be consequences and that there certainly can be consequences when we... When we do something that's different than what the majority of people are doing. You know, when, when we choose to honor God in the way that we live out, and it's different than the way that everybody else is living it out, people are going to look at us differently. They may, they may be threatened by what we're doing. They may not understand. And so a little bit later on in your discussion groups, you're going to be talking about how sometimes it's difficult to make the choice that honors God in the face of really hard circumstances where maybe everybody else is is going the other direction. You're trying to swim upstream, you know, kind of towards God. But, but for now, let's, let's, let's kind of finish up the, the, the passage that we're going to be looking at tonight. I'm going to read verses 16 through 23. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Okay, at some point in eternity, I want to live stream this chapter of Daniel. Like, I just want to see what this looks like. That, and, and when Samson goes full John Wick with the donkey jawbone on those guys. Like, that's, that's what I want to see when I get to heaven. I'm going to live stream that, like, over and over and over. It's going to be awesome. Okay, no, seriously, though, like, the response of these three guys in this moment, this is epic. Like, if you really consider what they're saying to this king and the words that they're using, like, it's goosebumps. Like, the way that they're standing up to him, you know, respectfully, but saying, like, but, but, but our God is our God, and, and, and that's it. Um, I, I love it. it it's like I, I read through it, and I feel like I want to memorize this passage right here so that I can remember it when I feel pressured to do something that, that doesn't honor God. Like, I want to remember how these guys did it so the next time I feel like I'm in a situation like this, I want, I want to handle it the same way that these guys did. And so I just want to break down their response into kind of three points that we can learn from. Um, just kind of, and, and it's broken down nicely, just come to the three verses here, 16, 17, and 18. And so the first thing that they say is like, we, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. And this is huge, you guys, because I feel like in the world that we live in, we're in such an argumentative culture, and I don't know if it's social media or 24-hour news networks or whatever it is, but like we always feel like we've got to defend ourselves and we've got to out-argue the other person. And and with these guys, they're just saying like, look, I know what I believe, and we could try to explain it to you, but you clearly don't care. You've already made it pretty clear what we have to do, and so we're not going to defend why we're doing what we're doing. See, obedience doesn't need to be defended. You know, there's, there's a time and a place to defend your faith. And, you know, Peter talks about that, that, that we should always be ready in season and out of season to be able to, to say the, the reason that we have this hope. But, but when it comes to our, our obedience, we shouldn't ever feel the need that, that I have to defend myself for doing the right thing. And it's funny, and, and, and people sometimes don't even want to know why you're doing what you're doing for God. I'll never forget my, my, one of my first jobs out of college. Uh, I worked in an organization uh, in the Silicon Valley tech company, and I was a recruiter. And, and so I, I did a lot of job interview scheduling and, and interviewing candidates and working with hiring managers. And there's this one candidate that we were bringing in. It was going to happen kind of from 11 to 2. And so, like, the hiring manager was going to get him for the first hour. And then a couple more engineers were going to interview this guy for the second hour. And then for the last hour, he wanted me to go and have lunch with this guy. And I was like, hey, that's great. The only thing is 
I'm I'm fasting on Mondays right now, and and like and and, and so kind of and, and I'm doing that because and he said stop. I don't I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I'll just reschedule it. Okay, I'm like. Oh, okay, no big deal. But like, even the idea of me talking a little bit about my faith, he's just like, no, forget it. And again, I wasn't going to argue with him until I'm like, well, no, you really need to know why. Like, okay, if you don't want to know, you don't want to know. And I'm not going to force it on you. You know, but I, but I also don't need to defend myself. And he wasn't asking me to, but I think sometimes in this world, we just feel like we constantly have to defend what we're doing if we're really living for God. And obedience doesn't need to be defended. The second one, the second point here, verse 17, and I love this so much. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us. And so what what we see here is this understanding that that God is all-powerful, and he is 100% faithful. And that's what they believe, that that if God wants to rescue us, and we think that he will, he certainly can. Our, Our God is the all-powerful God. Our, our God is the one that, that, that split the Red Sea, and our God is the one that rained down the ten plagues, and our God did this. And our, they know what God can do, and they know that saving the three of them is nothing for him, and that he certainly can do it, that he's powerful enough. And then they're just declaring that their, their faith that, that he will come through. You know, we, we need to be able to believe that. Like, when we're living in a way, and, and everybody else is kind of going the other direction, well, like, come on, it's not that big of a deal. Like, no, I'm just, I'm just going to do what God called me to do. And, and if, if that means that I miss out on something that everybody else is doing, like, I think God's got better stuff in store for me, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. And then the last point that is just so powerful, verse 18, and I love this thing. We, we believe that he can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, even if God lets us fry we're not going to serve your gods or worship the image of gold. And what they're communicating is that being faithful to God is even greater than life itself. Showing faithfulness to God is greater than anything we can ever experience here. I love that from these three guys, these guys that are probably about your age. And not surprisingly, their words kind of fall on deaf ears. Nebuchadnezzar's mind is not changed. Quite the opposite, he pretty much wants to toss them like marshmallows into the fire and just kind of watch them bubble up and, and, and go. Like he's, he's fine with that because he wants to prove his superiority over their God. And he says, okay, that's how you guys want it. I'm going to prove to everybody that your God can't handle this. And so he fires up the fireplace as high as it can go. He gets his strongest guys to tie the strongest knots so there's no way that they can get away. And he has the, the strongest guys pretty much march them to the fire to chuck them in. A fire so powerful that these, that these soldiers died just from the extreme heat of it. Now, this may sound a bit blasphemous to you, and I apologize if it does, but to me, it doesn't even matter whether or not God saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, why can I say that? Because I don't think it mattered to them. I mean, again, listen to what they said. Like, our God can save us. We believe that he will, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to your image. And so I, you know, I, I'm not going to go through the rest of the story. I mean, I encourage you to read the rest of the story on your own and study it, and you can talk about it in your discussion groups if you want. But the point is, is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to honor God whether they lived or died, and that's, that's kind of the point. In, in this life, as, as we live for God, are we choosing to honor him and focus on him in the way that we live and, and the way that we, 
that we die to ourselves. Maybe not a physical death, but, but this idea of, of, of taking up our cross daily. We're dying to ourselves because we're putting God first in everything that we're doing. You know, but I want us to focus on what does it really mean to live like these guys lived? You know, and the endless opportunities that we have every single day to be able to honor God, to be faithful to him, to obey him. We need to honor God even if it costs us a great deal. You know, if, 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 you're, if, you're, in the working, if you're in the workplace, you know, you, you've got a boss that you serve, but ultimately you can say, I, I, I work for my boss, but ultimately I serve and I worship God. And I always need to remember that. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm part of a family, you know, and, and it's important that, that I'm a good son, daughter, brother, father, uncle, whatever, but, but ultimately, what comes ahead of that? Serving and honoring God. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a student in this class. You know, I want to do my very best work, but, but ultimately, I want to do my very best work because I want to serve and honor God. You know, I'm, I'm part of this sports team. I'm part of this club. I'm part of this study group, whatever it is. And I want to do my very best because ultimately my job is to honor God and to worship him. And, and if any of those groups, if any of those peoples want me to do something that is not going to be honoring to him, then I need to be able to do what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did and say, like, actually, that's not for me. And if you're going to do it, you can do it. But I'm going to honor God first. Nothing, nothing can be more important than faithfully serving and worshiping God, than worshiping Jesus who gave up his life for us. Jesus who, who went to the depths of hell so that we could be saved. You know, that, that, that he overcame the power of hell so that we could have new life with him. The very least that we can do is, is, is show our faithfulness to him the way that he was faithful to his heavenly father. Man, I pray that you guys have an awesome, awesome discussion tonight. Uh, let me close this in prayer, and then uh, Michael will kind of direct you on how these groups are going to work. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be in your word tonight, to be in the Old Testament, God, uh, to be able to, to even see, uh, see your son Jesus in the Old Testament and to recognize how, God, you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And so, God, for each and every one of us, God, you, you allow us to be in situations where our faith is going to be tested, where we are going to be tempted to compromise our faith in any number of ways, in, in any number of relationships, God. God. We're going to be tempted by people who care about us, or, or people who want things from us, or whatever the situation is, and the temptation is just to be to, to go along to get along. But ultimately, God, you have called us to be faithful. Why? Because you are the faithful one, and you have called us to be just like you. So God, help us. Help us to recognize when we're being tempted to, to, to go with the flow instead of to stand up for you, God, and, and give us the strength to be able to focus on you, knowing that you can take us through any situation, God, and that you will never leave us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.